Hey guys, what's up? This is Dalvin here. I'm the ombudsman at the Stony Brook Press and the co-producer of the Press Play podcast. Yeah, sure. Uh, hi, my name is Louis Maroney. Um, I was an editor. I was an editor at the magazine. Now I'm just uh, chilling. Staff writer, bro. You're still. A staff yeah, writer. I'm still technically a staff writer, so we'll go with that. Uh, hi, I'm Sarah. Um, Sarah Beckford, and I'm a staff writer at the Press. Hey, my name is Julio Takuwa. I'm the music editor at the as at the Stony Brook Press with Deanna Albon. She's the other music editor. I'm a sophomore journalism major, and I'm really excited for this Childish Gambino that's dropping this weekend. <laughs> you should be. And today we have a guest, Josh Fiello, and I'm just gonna let you intro yourself because you you do you honestly. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Josh Fiola. Um, I'm a writer mainly, but um, I was uh, I lived in China for 11 years up until very recently, uh, and I've worked as a musician, a venue manager. Um, I've organized music festivals, uh, uh, pretty much everything you can do within the music industry. I've done, but since 2013, I've worked primarily as a, a music journalist. Yeah, and the reason we currently have you on is. Uh... I don't know, I think the last episode we did on this podcast was, like, December, like, the best albums of the decade, and, I don't know, this year's been off to a really, uh, interesting start, just in the past few months, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, everybody's, I mean, it's basically, like, the biggest story of probably, like, this decade, we're kind of going through, like, a bit of a pandemic right now with COVID-19 spreading around the world. As the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases in the U.S. continues to rise, officials are stepping up measures to control the virus spread. Heeding a weekend warning from Dr. Anthony Fauci, infectious disease chief at the National Institutes of Health. In real time, you've got to evaluate the situation. If we continue to see the community spread go up, I think you need to seriously look at anything that's a large gathering. Again, I have to underscore, Chuck, particularly if you're an individual who has an underlying condition and are vulnerable. And you, you and your... Um your working partner, Chris Ragav, have actually, um, you've worked on stories that are sort of related to that and what's going on in China on the ground in the music community there. If you could explain a bit about that. Yeah, sure. Um, Chris and I both actually wrote articles covering a similar topic, which was starting in, I, th I would say, early February. There were a lot of people in China who, you know, this was the early what? stage of the lockdown there, and they were responding by you could say organizing virtual events, sort of. Um, so we, we were mainly following artists, uh, sorry, we were mainly following musicians um, or people in the, you know, adjacent to them. So venues, DJs, promoters, um, radio stations, people like right. that. And they were, they were organizing these, you know, essentially just live streamed um, uh, performances, whether that's live music or, or DJing. And so Chris and I both wrote about that. I mean, in both of our cases, uh, Chris, Chris lives in Beijing. I live in Shanghai. And we were seeing people on our networks doing this and kind of connecting a, 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 across the quarantine by going online and, and live streaming their at-home situations, but using music as a sort of medium to connect people, even though we couldn't go out or, or experience this kind of stuff in person. So for both Chris and I, I mean, there's people, there are people that we know uh, pretty well or have worked with in the past so it was pretty or organic the way that it came up on our on our stream i guess and so we both wanted to kind of share that with people outside of china when it was first happening now the situation is is crazier and everything's yeah. changed i mean yeah. now it's like when we were doing it it was mainly china that was affected now of course i mean it's everywhere so 
Yeah. I just thought it would be interesting to sort of hear that perspective because they've been ahead, like, China's been ahead of the curve in this whole situation in a lot of different areas. They have no now, more from cases now, I don't think, even, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they've been, they've handled the, they've gotten the situation under control. But I know in the U.S. it's like we're just starting to go through it. And we've seen, like, major events like South by Southwest get canceled. I know, like, uh, I mean, even, like, scrolling through my Facebook feed on, like, events that I'm interested in, it's like, oh, new alert. Like, this concert's been canceled. Or, mm-hmm. This concert's been canceled because Everything. of... Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I mean, now we're just starting to hear conversations of bands, like, holding, like, online concerts and things like that. And what mm-hmm. I guess, like, what genres or what groups mainly do this? I've seen, like, punk rock groups in the article and, like even EDM DJs like is it like is it like a certain scene or is it like just different genres altogether really yeah um I would say mostly it's been I would say it's more kind of the format is friendlier if you're a DJ or electronic musician because you're already you know pretty much one person um your gear is limited you you don't really need like you know um you don't need uh guitar amps or drums or a lot of the equipment you might need for a full band So mainly the people I've been seen I've seen doing it are um, uh, you know DJs DJs maybe the easiest and then or people that have their own kind of setup if it's like a few synthesizers or drum machines or whatever so electronic music mainly um, that said I have seen a few bands as well there's one music venue in Shanghai called Yu Yintang that has begun doing like full band streams so their their response to, you know first they were shut down of course um, and then eventually their response was to buy some uh like you know live streaming equipment and use their 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 audio equipment their stage equipment um, that they already had and invite musicians in like full bands to use their um their setup their backline um and then they they were putting a live stream online So uh, I've seen some punk bands, uh, but mainly if there was if, if there was a kind of genre, uh, it's broadly electronic music that has been seemed to be the most suitable for this, or experimental music as well. Anything that requires kind of a minimalistic one person setup. Um, with these different streams, do are they using VPNs? Because I know the internet in China is like very much throttled and controlled by the government. Are they using getting access to this using VPNs or? They're like just using the regular, I guess, proxies and servers that are available to them. Mm, that's a great question. Um, some of them are. So uh, it depends on, on which platform they're streaming on. And there's a few. Mm-hmm. So there's one really popular one from like within China. So a domestic uh, video streaming app called Billy Billy. It's actually its main thing is like uh, it's like an anime. Like, you know, this term ACG. It's like anime yeah. comic games. Um, yeah. They're basically an ACG video streaming platform, and that's their main thing. And so their 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 followers, their subscribers are really like hardcore like anime or gamers. But they so and they have this whole kind of subculture. And um, but they do live streams. It's one of their kind of main things that that the platform does. 
So a lot of the music live streams I've seen in China are on Bilibili. So that doesn't require VPN. It already has a lot of you know users domestically. People are familiar with it. And it has this one very special feature that uh, in English it's called bullet comments. Yeah, so Bilibili has these bullet comments that are, you know, kind of adds another layer of interactivity to it and, um, you, you know, almost community aspect because, like, say you're watching your friend do a live stream at home and um, then you type a comment, then the, the comment, like, flies across the top of the screen and everyone sees it and you see what other people are saying. So this this is all native to Bilibili and so Bilibili was by default of the platform that a lot of these people have been using. Uh, beyond that, though, a lot of them are doing this not only to kind of create the sense of community within China, but to communicate uh, to people outside of China or, or to like, you know, broadcast. So yes, a lot of them have been using VPNs and doing streams on Facebook Live or, or on YouTube or uploading it to YouTube afterwards, um, stuff like that. One In one case, I even saw uh, two friends of mine, they were both in Beijing, but they did like this kind of collab, like a duo. Um, mm -hmm. And they were doing it in real time, I think, on Billy Billy. But then they were like syncing that video feed to to YouTube or Facebook at the same time. So there, there's this weird sense of like multiple delays. Part of that being mediated through the VPN. So, yeah, I would say ha about half of them, if not more, are are in some way or another using a VPN to access, um, you know, platforms or social networks that are banned within China. Got it. Got it. Oh, I was gonna ask, like, how's it been having like. Uh get out of China so quickly. Like, how's so, that been? How's the adjustment been to that? Yeah. Um, you mean myself just getting out recently of China? Uh, yeah. And also, one question I do have is, how'd you end up in, uh, how'd you end up in China for 11 years? Uh, what was, uh, if you don't mind me asking, at least. Yeah, sure. Um, that's, kind of, I guess, kind of a long story. But long story short, I, um, I graduated college uh, in December 2008, which, All you know, right. up, up until, um, up until COVID-19 was the last major, you know, um, uh, yeah. uh, you know, bleak times of America. But, um, uh, yeah, I graduated. There wasn't, there weren't, weren't many job opportunities. I applied for a bunch of places, but I, I the, the one job op offer I got that was promising was in Beijing at some tech startup, which wasn't really what I studied, but it was a job right. um, and I was interested in going somewhere new. So I went for a random job that I only stayed at for a year, but I got kind of got sucked into the music scene in, in that time. And after I left that job, I started working at a music venue and did that for a few years, managing a venue. And then, then again, I, then I started working prim primarily as a writer, but the, 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 the thing that kept me there the whole time was just the music scene that I was involved with as a, as a musician, as a, as a writer, as an organizer, as a promoter. So that, you know, that's 11 years is a long time, but more or less, that's the answer. I mean, you know, right. I later got married and, you know, there, I, I will always have a kind of connection to China because my wife is from there. But um, to get to your other question, we, we, you know, we were, we were living in Shanghai um, and we were already kind of planning to slowly relocate to the U.S. over the course of this year, but the virus really sped up our planning um, for all that. And, you know, in retrospect, we got out just in time, and we 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 flew from Shanghai to to uh, where I am now in Texas um, on March sixth, and I think exactly one week later was when the Europe travel ban fell down, and and the the airports just became mayhem. Um, so how does it feel? I don't know. It feels it feels strange. With I feel like a time traveler because everything that we had been living in in Shanghai for six weeks is just now starting Sorry. over here in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Like it's just starting to hit over here. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. So like the, all these things, like the, these online raids and stuff, like I'm, I'm, I'm just now seeing, it's like I'm at that point in the timeline when I wrote the article about the ones in China and I'm seeing you know, similar things happening in, in the U.S. and like Berlin. I saw like a like Save Berlin Club's kind of um, streaming fundraiser thing going on. So yeah, it's kind of surreal. Were those um, sort of online raves and band performances happening in China before? before all this dropped because um i know like china like they kind of have like the media on lock not even just the news media but like music too like they're not like the government isn't big on like hip-hop or rap i think or i've heard that they have restrictions over there yeah exactly so it's like how like how big was that sort of stuff before like this all all this sort of dropped yeah um Good question. I mean, and from from the, the the stuff that we've been covering, like Chris and I, uh, that's very much the sort of you know bottom up, like more underground. Like it's not not like mainstream artists or anything like that. Um, it's people that are you know kind of in the like everyday. Uh, I don't know how to say this, like independent music community. So before this virus, I mean, uh, people people were doing live streams. People were were using you know the internet in different ways, but. Nothing like what nothing like what they've been doing um, uh, since the virus. Like nothing like these kind of really live streamed full events. I mean, there wasn't uh, there wasn't much uh, much of anything like that happening. But in a more general level, um, you know, I would say a big change in the last few years in China has been there's been a few like web web TV shows, like reality shows, but they're they're produced by like you know essentially like the equivalent of Netflix in China. <clears throat> and that has done a lot since 2017 in particular, that has done a lot to kind of mainstream some of these um, forms of music that had previously been ex- exclusively underground. So hip hop's a great example. I mean, hip hop is the biggest example here because there was a show that started airing on this, it, the platform's called ICE and it's, it's similar to Netflix. <clears throat> they produce original content. They, they license other stuff to stream it. Um, but they started producing their original show called the rap of China. And it's, you know, it's just like a kind of it's a, it's a reality show. It's pretty cheesy, uh, but they had real some real rappers on there, like people who had been in the scene and actually you know you know putting out putting out releases and and doing battles and and all that um, on the you know legitimately for a long time. So they had real rappers on there. They had some like really like fake made for TV type guys on there too, but um, but you know even even just having this 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 genre on such a a, wide, a mainstream viewed platform was a big change and that was very much mediated by internet technology you know just by 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 the nature of being on this platform and being and being streamed out i mean the first season got over a billion views or something oh, yeah. um that changed things i mean it changed it changed how the average chinese person you said over a billion? Yeah, over a billion views of the first season, which is crazy. I mean, no one even expected that. That's insane. That's brutal. Yeah, Yo, crazy. American Networks TV could only dream. Yeah, yeah right. Right. Super Bowl <laughs> could never, <laughs> Grammys could never. Only like, that's, Those are like World Cup numbers. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and that was a crazy thing. So, like, actually, there was a there was immediate backlash. So, after the first season ended, um, the government kind of stepped in and, like, you know, there was there uh, there were there was a number of uh, scandals that came out, for, especially from the two winners. There was like they had co-champions the first season, and both of them, after the season stopped airing, had to like go online and like re- like apologize for some of their previous lyrics. You know, you, you can tell the government starting uh, on it when, like yeah. walk it, walk them yeah. back. Yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, that that doesn't have anything to do with these. Rap guys. isn't supposed to be apologetic. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so that doesn't have anything to do with these like you know live stream uh, events that are happening mm-hmm. now. But I think that has certainly shaped the culture of, especially in a more like you know the average average person, not someone who's necessarily already going in and and being you know interested or knowledgeable about music, but just the average kind of internet consumer in China has a has a familiar relationship with like seeing like underground music. Since since that rap show came out and we got so big, they did the same network did a similar one for rock. A different one did one for like DJs and EDM. So now the idea of seeing someone perform on stage on like a live streamed show is is kind of common. It's 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 been been ingrained into the popular consciousness. So in a way, these underground artists now that are that are doing um, streams during the virus are tapping into that. I think. I think I do have a question. So what has it been like, if you know, like for promoters and like different venues, how's, how have they been able to adjust well to just making sure everything goes online smoothly? Yeah, it's been tough, I think. Um, <clears throat> a lot of venues, um, I've, I've heard stories of venues that are, have been basically closed by this. You know, they, they, they lost enough revenue that they're not coming back. I, that, I've only heard one example of that, and I'm not sure um, how widespread that is. For a lot of the venues, um, you know, run by people that I know or places that I have a relationship with, um, I think they're they're able to manage. Uh, in a lot of cases, they're getting kind of rent forgiven for that time. Um, that's cool. That's good. Uh, I mean, that that I think in part comes from the top down. I mean, that's one advantage, I guess, of the communist system is, uh, you know, I think that they're they're able to um, enforce that, like, you know, the relationship between landlords and tenants from a top down way. But anyway, um, for the venues, like, so in most cases they get rent forgiven. Um, most of them haven't really been able to set up anything in terms of these live streamings. There, there, there've been a few venues that have done it, but for the most part, it's like mainly artists doing it from their homes, you know? And I think the other big question and the other big problem is for both the artists and the venues and any organization that really is, you know, relying on income from music, uh, besides digital sales or anything, it's you know it's great to create a sense of community through these live streams, but I'm not sure how how much it's helping them in terms of you know making or making their income. Um, you know, there there was most of them don't really have a path to monetization or anything. Uh, the, the venue I mentioned in Shanghai earlier, uh, it's called Yu Yin Tang, and they were looking into doing ticketed live streams, but I don't know if that ever went anywhere, and I I would have a hard time believing that would really that would really work. So I think the biggest barrier for people is like, you know, trading off like short term, it's short term, it's comforting. You know, we, we you know, you say you're, you're a music venue in, in China and you're, you want to let your audience, you want to let your community of musicians know we're still here, we're still supporting you, we're doing whatever we can during this time. But, you know, in the short term, that's great as a kind of, yeah, again, short term, uh, comfort but longer term um you know the financials become pretty tough so I've, I've heard a lot of venues in china are reopening now um some friends of some friends of mine that have venues in shanghai they're they're opening like tonight saturday night well it's already past that time in china now but they they, they opened so that's encouraging oh, wow. so hopefully yeah. you know i'm sure it's going to be slower than usual but you know hopefully this um whole this whole you know epidemic breakout proves to be sort of like a you know, uh, uh, an aberration rather than a new normal, but I guess that remains to be seen. I think Lewis mentioned, like they said that they have, they've like lessened the number of cases they've gotten on a daily. So, I yeah. mean, it's good to hear that they're opening places up again. Yeah. 
Yeah. How long did that take? Like, like, what, like, like six weeks about? Yeah, eight weeks. I mean, it, it, like two months, basically. Like, I think that the first major, I think, like, for us living in China, it was like, oh, we had we heard whispers about stuff happening, maybe. But then what really was the, the day zero for most people is when uh, we all learned that Wuhan got locked down. And I believe that was like Jan 20 or something. I mean, it's just about exactly two months ago. And, I, and it, you know, it, it was extra memorable for people because it's Chinese New Year, which is like the biggest holiday in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was with I was in my wife's hometown in Suzhou near Shanghai. And, um, you know, we, we usually go for like 10 days or so. The whole country is off. It's a big party. It's big. It's like Christmas and New Year's or Thanksgiving yeah, all rolled serious. into one. So we were there and like, you know, after being there for three days, even her parents were like, you guys should go back to Shanghai. Like, this doesn't look good. And so we, we cut that short. Everyone basically did all over the country. And yeah, anyway, so it's been it's, it's about two months. Um, and that was with pretty severe containment measures, you know, like uh, we were all self-quarantining pretty much from that time on. Uh, places like Wuhan were really on strict, strict lockdown, as you probably I'm sure you've seen uh, photos or videos of that. Yeah. So two months with like severe restriction of movement um is is what the timeline has been i think in china i know like in the i mean like in the u.s like i've seen even on social media bands saying that like they've they've definitely been taking a hit because of the closures of concerts and venues across the country Mm -hmm. like south by southwest closing that's huge coachella's getting (laughs) the worst they have a no refund policy which is that's yeah yeah they have a no that's Yo, so that's they can't do that. to the point where they're like, like no natural disaster, act of God, that's actually act of terror. Like they they insured it to the point where it's impregnable. You just aren't getting your money back. Wow. And that's I like, think that's, that's ridiculous. Bad. It's bad luck to the people who purchase the tickets, but like what kind of sicko thinks of that and draws up that contract? That's especially, bad. Especially during something like this, it's like, okay, I get it. Like apparently those guys are the, the sicko. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be a huge dent. I mean, like, I live in San Antonio, Texas, so it's like an hour drive from Austin. And even here, South by getting canceled affects the economy. You know, like, there's a lot of people that come down here or bands that come through, like, they do shows and they come from all over the world to play in Austin. A lot of them want to get some extra gigs, you know, make some side money while they're while they're around. So a lot of people come through San Antonio. We did. You know, and then we have our big, you know, there's this thing called Fiesta that, that San Antonio does in April. That's been canceled. I mean, there, I, I mean, it's everywhere. Everywhere it's like, you know, um, any anything that, you know, gathers, brings people in from other places and, and, and makes them spend money on things. That's all going to go away for at least the next, you know, two, three, four months. That's crazy. Josh, how'd you get into music writing? What made you want to be a music writer? Um, I think I've always enjoyed writing. And um, after... Uh, when was it? Two thousand thirteen. I, I I think I started you know actually writing as a as a job. Um, before that, I was I was managing music venues, and at a certain point, it just got exhausting. You know, I didn't want to be in a bar every night. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I guess it was it was mainly the motivation to get out of the like day to day being in a bar, being in a venue um, every single night of the week. Um, and writing seemed like a good way to stay involved and stay aware and active, but not not physically have to be out there every night. Um, so that's that was the beginning of it, and I guess I've just stuck with it because I enjoy it, and um, it's it's been pretty rewarding. Has it been uh, being a music journalist during all of this time with the coronavirus, especially on top, and you know the economy's taking a hit, especially in an era where like 
music publications are like shutting down left and right. How is that? How did this affect that kind of industry? Yeah, it's going to be, I think it's going to be tough. I mean, already before the virus, some, some, some places have been closing or killing their print version or all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I've noticed just a down, like, you know, people want shorter word counts. They like, basically they're, they're, they're shaping writing based on what the algorithms tell them, you know, like what's going to perform best on social media, which I, I find quite frust- frustrating because I don't, I don't really want to, I don't want to be edited by an algorithm, you know, um, but, but and I have to dilute the message so it's digestible by people who can like only give you the attention span of like 300 words max and then they're done. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So that's that. I mean, before even the virus, that was uh, that was already kind of a concern. But now, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for me. It's going to be hard for for a lot of people in the industry overall. And for writing, and I don't know. On the one hand, I think it'll be hard and it'll be it'll be frustrating. On the other hand, I think it opens up new opportunities for people to really rethink some things. Like, uh, you know, just just um, the other day. I mean, one of the interesting and I think positive case studies in this space is um, Bandcamp. Yeah. And so they they launched in 2010, and I think they launched their editorial in 2016 or so. And I've been writing for them pretty frequently. And they just are really committed to you know. I don't know. Uh, I guess musician, they're musician oriented, both in their digital streaming platform and in their editorial section. And they just did this thing um, yesterday where they waived, they, they take like a 10% um, fee for sales on their platform. And they, they said, I saw that. yeah, they did that. They, they sold over like, I don't know. I, I checked in like when they saw it six hours to go and they had already sold $3 million. Um, wow. Which doesn't sound like yeah. a, a super amount of money, but it is all that all that money yeah. is going to the artists directly. Yeah, something. that's yeah, huge. Exactly. Three million dollars is not a drop in the bucket yeah, unless you're like, like yeah. you're like Atlantic Records or like some massive corporation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. These, yeah. All these bands are like self sufficient too. It's crazy. Yeah. What's really good is that like I've been seeing like, a lot of different writers that I follow, and so many of them are tweeting threads of like indie artists to make sure that they still get support, especially for like right now. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's like you, 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 you always, you know, know on some level that, that you're part of a community, but events like this really like bring that to the front and it, it, it stirs up, I think, um, you know, things you, you take for granted, maybe you take for granted, like you push a button, you download somebody's music or, or you, you know, you watch their video or you listen to them on Spotify, but now you really think more about the people behind that and the people yeah. making the music. And I think, I think there are positives. I think they're, they're, it creates a space for hope and maybe a, a radical reappraisal of, you know, the relationships that we form mediated by, by technology and how we can actually reshape that a little bit, especially in a time like this when so many fundamentals are being called into question. What do you think of newsletters and like the rise of newsletters a thing now and that form of uh, communication to, to uh, share music? I think it's great. I mean, that's that's a that's a good example. I mean, it's weird because a new like an email newsletter is like outdated internet technology at this point. But you know, it's 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 making a comeback. I think in part because it is specific. It's that it's community oriented. It's almost experienced in a more intimate way. <clears throat> um, if you if it doesn't if it if it you know is clearly marked that it's not spam. You know, it's something that you opt into. It's, it's more intimate. You're reading it in, in, a, in a personal communication medium rather than in like a clickbait, you know, oriented um, environment or like via Facebook or via Twitter or via Instagram or whatever. So I think I think that's actually 
a, a quite an interesting and, and, and positive development as well. You know, newsletters, blogs, you know, that sounds outdated too, but, you know, people have been doing music blogs this whole time, you know, they, like they, yeah. they, they tend to get like kind of co-opted sometimes or sucked into bigger media entities, but people still blog and, you know, now more than ever, like start a weird blog. Like this is the time. Yeah. I was actually, you actually bring up a really, <laughs> you actually bring up a really good point because I've seen on Twitter recently, um, somebody was talking, it was one of those like bomba cloud or like scopa to mana things. And somebody was talking about OnlyFans and somebody quoted the tweet and said, OnlyFans is a platform for more than just like nudes and basically porn and all of that stuff. It's good for your that you, can, you can do a whole lot more on there than just nudity. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking, yeah. considering yeah, places like Bandcamp, that's a place where an artist could go to put out their music. You have Patreon. You have Twitch, you have all these different services where you can have that intimate one-on-one -on -one, like connection with your fans base, basically. Yeah. Do you think uh, as time goes along now, especially since we're between the four walls of our homes most of the time with internet access, do you think more artists are going to start using things like OnlyFans and Patreon and all those uh, all those other like platforms to put out music and to uh, come into contact with fans because putting on YouTube is kind of a gamble. You may or may not make yeah, money. Ad revenue, yeah. Especially you have to pull in ad revenue. You have to have restrictions and meet certain criteria to get certain ads to make certain amounts of money. But yeah. with OnlyFans and Patreon, that's up to you what you want to put out, and they're buying into it automatically. Like there's no if you're going to make money and there's a cut of it that you're going to receive. Do you think more people are going to take advantage of that? Because the conversation seems to be flowing already. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think that's going to be what you'll see um, as a direct uh, response to the virus. And, you know, like I said, with music, specifically streaming music, um, just in the last few days, I've seen so much discourse around this, you know, on Twitter and in other places pointing at like how shitty the deal is with Spotify or, you know, never mind YouTube. I mean, YouTube is crazy. You, you have to sign away all your rights. I mean, Google has essentially a monopolistic position that they can exploit, right? Yeah. So, so, you know, and there's all these alternatives. They've been there and something like Bandcamp, I mean, it, it, it intentionally, I think, as a company chose to remain small and grow organically rather than follow the standard <laughs> Silicon Valley model of, you know, chasing funding trying to like promise like mass maximum scale and, and chase the VC money and, and grow to an unrealistically large um, scale uh, in, in too short of a time. They never went that route. They always wanted to be organic. They wanted to remain responsive to their community of artists that they were using them. I think other video platforms that operate in the same way, and you know, maybe it doesn't have to be exactly like that. I mean, it doesn't have to be like catering to a niche community of artists. I think something like yeah. using, using OnlyFans for music would be quite interesting. And, and you know, the fact is, like, people are going to have to think about this. Like, I've seen a few things happening already, like, along the same veins of what Krish and I wrote about in China, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a month ago, over two months ago almost. Um, and they're doing it on YouTube or they're doing it on Facebook Live. And I think at a certain point very soon, people who want to try to make this sustainable will, will s take a minute and be like, Wait, why the fuck would I do it on Facebook? Exactly. Right? Like that now it's free. It's yeah, on exactly. Facebook's platform that already has money. You're just pulling more clicks to Facebook. But with OnlyFans, that's money in your pocket. You set your price. Yeah. You just have to maybe have a fan base or market yourself well enough where people want to buy into that persona. That way the groundwork is really yours to do. Like at yeah. this point, I'm fully 
I've, I've come to the, the conclusion that I am voluntarily broke. There are way too many ways to make money from my bedroom yeah. and from my phone that I'm not exploiting right yeah. now. This quarantine is just having me look at all those options to try and figure yeah, it exactly. out. You know, like, if you're a writer, you have, like, Substack, you can monetize your post, and that's money to right to you. Yeah, totally. Or if you're a YouTube guy, you know, if you're making videos, monetize that shit, you know, put the monetization on. There's so many ways you can, like, just... Now is the best time to be an independent content guy, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The independent content creator and the independent artist. It's, 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 uh, I mean, it's basically crucial at this point because it's like, yeah, it is. I mean, like, I guess that's like a, that's like another question, but like, you even mentioned, like, I remember seeing like a chart or like a picture on like, um, it was like, it was going around like Facebook or Twitter where it was like how much money you get per stream on each service. And it was like Spotify, like a tenth of a penny, Google yeah. Play, like a, a, a a twentieth of a pit. it's like some re- like ridiculous fraction, fractional amount of like change or whatever. Like yeah. what I guess like what responsibility do you think streaming services have to like, I guess even redistribute their their money because it's like I mean, it's like at yeah. at, a, at a point like this, it, like getting like a quarter of a cent off Spotify is like nothing. Yeah. It's like it's really cru- it's really crucial for them to get like more of that like share honestly, or at least that's my opinion really. No, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, there was a there was something in the news recently about musicians petitioning Spotify to like triple their rate during the lockdown, and yes. you know, who knows if Spotify will do that? I can guarantee you that they won't. Uh, YouTube or Facebook <laughs> won't for sure. I mean, Spotify too. Spotify isn't really musician oriented at all. Um, they're they're doing something different. Um, you know, so I think that's that's what I that, you know I I'd like to be hopeful and think there is an opportunity for you know people. Uh, you know, ethical streaming services to come and be more of a collaborator with artists rather than like monopolistic platform, a gateway that the artist has to use despite, you know, no matter the terms, which is kind of how YouTube operates now. Because I could even definitely see like, I mean, well, I mean, with Spotify, it's like, okay, like they could make the argument that they don't have enough money to like split amongst like all the indie artists out there. But, but like, with then, companies, I don't like, believe like, it. Yeah. But no, like, even when you think, like, companies like Apple Music or Google Music, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. music isn't the only thing you guys do. You have billions on top yeah. of that. That you yeah. could just, you know, like, like it's like, that's not your main, like, business model. They have so YouTube Red, for God's sakes. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, red. okay, like, yeah. Nobody it's like, watches, definitely but I mean, making money somehow. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, true. Enough people actually buy into YouTube Red that it does make money. Actually, yeah. I, Which to me is ridiculous, because if, if you're to look, go ahead. I actually have YouTube, right? That's because I use Google Music, so that's it. Because I just got bundled. You like corporate. You like corporate. Yes. Google Meister. They know everything about me at this point. (laughs) I did a paper on Spotify and how much, like, they pay for, like, you know, like, per song and stuff. And, like, honestly, I was writing, I was arguing that basically Spotify is really, like, against indie artists because... Mm -hmm. Think about like the editorial playlist. You're honestly at the mercy of an algorithm because there's a whole application process, mm-hmm. and then you have to like. Oh, that is so that. true. Yeah, you you have to basically apply, and then I think it's like there's an algorithm to figure out like where you are like placed mm-hmm. on the playlist, and then mm-hmm. of course it's another that figures out like when your song gets played, and even yeah. when, if I stream like stuff on Spotify on a regular Spotify account. The artist doesn't get much money, but when I'm on Spotify Premium, there's a larger pot of money. I just yeah. upgraded Spotify Premium because a family member added me, which was a total like blessing. But yeah, like that's a, that's a proper gift. 
Brockhampton is getting more money now from me than when I had no Spotify premium. There's a great so newsletter about, by David Turner called Penny Fractions where he talks about um, the relationship, um, the way st- the streaming industry and, and how they, like, a lot of what he talks about is how streaming services commentate their artists and how, how poorly that's actually done. Hmm. Definitely check that out. And so much. Yeah, it definitely paints itself to look like it's so much for the artists, but how many artists do we know where, like, say their song will blow up on TikTok or so, or they're just famous on the internet, they're internet famous, and you go to their song, it has 10 million streams. How many dollars do they have to show for those streams? Not much. Like, they're still making beats in their mom's basement or whatever. Maybe, like, they're approached by an agent or, like, some kind of record label. And they're offered a deal, but it's never really a proper deal. Like if you listen to any of you are familiar with the Joe Budden podcast. Oh, I love it. He's, yeah. a huge, he's a huge advocate for the artist. And a lot of the deals that these kids uh, most of the time are like asked to sign, they get little to nothing compared to what the label is going to make off of them. And then yeah. they're locked in for like five albums, which they have to put out. doesn't matter how long it takes them. They have to put it out. They're supposed to be on the label for a certain amount of time. Sometimes their merch and their revenue is then given up to the label. Like, what just happened to Meg Thee Stallion? And she's super famous right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has yeah. no issues, nothing to worry about money-wise. But we saw what happened with her. What more of a little indie artist? Yeah. Yeah, I really think, like, like major labels or even, like, indie labels are really going to have to start, like, reconsidering just the way contracts are set up with artists, especially at a time like this, when it's the same format. Really, yeah. it's been like the same you really, yeah, like you really, like it's not, it's not made for um, situations like this. Like it's yeah. not made for economic situations like this. That's for sure. Yeah. The totally. industry has changed, but the contracts haven't. They just haven't. Yeah, they really haven't at all. Like I was yeah. thinking of, I remember when we were talking about, I was pitching a story about Meg Thee Stallion and her thing. I was comparing it to. Back when the Sex Pistols got signed, that's the early seventies, and they that's still got they the still se- got cheated by the label and their manager. That sounds ridiculous. Mm. Some cars didn't have seatbelts in the seventies. We have cars <laughs> that drive themselves now. Why is it the same kind of contract <laughs> issue in yeah. these different yeah. decades? Yeah, totally. Josh, I have a question. How um how do we how does how does everything go back? What happens when this is all over? How does it start back up again? How do how does uh music in general, re- regenerate from this? Yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, no one can say, um, like, I, to repeat my point earlier, is like, I, I'm just trying to be optimistic and hopeful that a lot of people are taking this opportunity to rethink a lot of things. Um, right. You know, whether it's, you know, it's not only about music, but like even, you know, just in general, like, your relationship to everyone around you, these people, you know, people, there's a lot of talk these days about non-essential services and look at the people who are essential. They're people you yeah. take for granted every yeah, exactly. day, you know, um, yeah, I, we, I work in a grocery store. I work in a yeah. warehouse. So, you know. My job is somehow essential. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, we were, <clears throat> we were, my wife and I were in quarantine for six weeks in, in Shanghai. And, you know, there was, there were people that like, they were like, they were, you know, the, the restaurant stayed open. There were people in there cooking food. There were people there to deliver it. There were, you know, there were people there, you know, grocery store. Um, there were medical workers when we needed it. There were, um, you know, even even banks. I, I never had so much gratitude to a bank employee. Uh, you know, Bro, when, when I've been trying to go to any bank. Right. So they're all closed. 
so I would say that this is a, a useful recalibration for everybody and, and you know, seeing, you know, you, you know, the people that, you know, you, you wouldn't uh, – you, you may not know them on a first-name basis, but these are, these are who, who are important. Oh, they know us now. Health. They know us now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, baby. They're looking for us. They're asking us to hold toilet paper and paper towels for them. Right. Asking right. us when we're getting eggs in and milk. Yeah. We're, we supply to a health care. Asking us when we open. Bro. Exactly. Yeah. Working sure. class, baby. I have another question, actually. Do you think this will actually change, like, the sound of how music is made? Because, I mean, it's I mean, it's already been... I mean, it, no, it's already been like this before, but, like, you've seen, like, bedroom <laughs> producers making it big and all that. But now it's, like, when people are, like, even in some cases legally have to stay in their homes. Now, I mean, like... I mean, I feel like we're going to get more of, like, a lo-fi sound because so many people are going to have to switch to, like, back to using their laptops. They're not going to have to yeah. be watching... Like yeah, oh, they're yeah. not. Every musician is gonna be in their bedroom. We're going back to the bedroom. yeah, exactly. It's like they can't yeah, like studio. you can't like rent out studio time like you can even if you're like an up and coming rapper or something. Like no, you're gonna have to go to your yeah. you're gonna have to like go to your MacBook or something or like whatever mic you got really. Yeah, no, I think it will. I think it will change the sound. And I mean, to go back to Lewis's question, I think that it will change a lot more than that. I mean, I don't think we're ever gonna go back to. Um, you know, normal. We're not going to go back to the way things were. I mean, I, I, sure, I think that we'll have live music again. Um, we'll have festivals again and all that. But um, I mean, some places are going to close. Some places are going to be run differently. Yeah. yeah. And like the same, you know, just the same, I don't know, the same way. Like I, I would say a lot of the venues that survive this or, you know, um, uh, like the, the kind of infrastructural um, parts of, the, of, of music that survive this, it, it's going to be either because they're such a big corporation that they're insured against it, yeah, or, it's gonna be, yeah, or it's going to be because they have a legitimate community of people that are going to go out, out of their way not to let it die. You know? mm. um, so that's what we're going to see. Great that's going to be maybe the change. And how long it takes is a big question. I mean, uh, you know, I think that the longer it goes, the more casualties there will be. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm not speaking of human life, but that there will be oh, that too. But, um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, venues, labels, um, promoters, any, any number of small businesses that are going to be affected by this long-term loss of income. So it'll change things. And I think, you know, that looking at it from the positive perspective, it will sort of calcify or, or bring into sharp focus, you know, which institutions have the community, which of them are, are sustainable and organically sustainable. And I mean, that'll be a net positive. And how the sound is going to change in, in concert with that or, you know, uh, you know, uh, in symbiosis with that process. I don't know. I think you're right. The lo-fi um, aesthetic is probably going to make a big comeback out of necessity. Yeah. But I'm kind of excited. I mean, you know, what's going to be like I remember when uh, <clears throat> I remember like clocking pretty closely after the 2016 ele election. I was like, what's going to be the first great uh, Trump album? And then, you know, Tribe immediately put one out. Um <clears throat> I'm I'm wondering what's going to be the first big like COVID album or you know like there's going to be people I don't even know how you approach that. That's going to be the <laughs> most yeah, impressive yeah. thing first off. Yeah. Cuz they already have the meme songs, the coronavirus thing, the yeah. fucking Cardi B so screaming coronavirus yeah. like all that's yeah. going viral.
virus made that pussy nigga sound. Drinking on my light, nigga, I don't drink my clout. Clout. Run up with a mask, I spray you like that sauce. Fuck coronavirus, cause that pussy nigga hate. Fuck coronavirus, cause I heard that nigga racist. <laughs> Yeah. So it's like, uh. Rona, 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 come in. <laughs> but yeah, I think the, um, whatever political statement is made after this, speaking of which, Kendrick is supposed to drop relatively soon. Whatever he has to say about anything, I'm here for it. Oh, yeah. Wait, is he really? Yes. Bro, he yeah. put out some like teaser videos on his Instagram and on his Twitter, like Georgia Smith was in some of the videos in Yarshi. But I think he'll have something to say about this presidency. I don't know if probably now if if he has the brain which I know him to have, he is going to double back and either retouch or add to his album something relevant to what we're going through right now. Mm-hmm. Because he's very much a timely artist. Like when he dropped to Pimp a Butterfly, perfect timing with the content and everything. Damn. Perfect timing with the content and everything. He had a plan for whatever this next album was going to be, but this is definitely throwing a wrench into everybody's project, whether you were touring or you were making an album or you're finishing one up. Only a few people have been able to get out like relatively unscathed, the weekend being one of them because he just released J Balvin and a few yeah. others. Yeah. But Say it again. J Balvin? Yeah. Exactly. Like, and a few other people who are like still releasing work. It's not going to be relevant to the situation, but like the escapism of the music even coming out and something new and positive being there is going to be a huge pull to their music. I just want to see who's going to come out with a political piece, like you said. Yeah. Very, very interesting because I don't know who to expect it from. Yeah. And my question would even be like, how do we deal with so much being made? Because I know there's definitely going to be some kids that, since they're home, they're going to have the inspiration Yo. to actually, like, do music. Because I know I want to pick up my guitar again now. But, like, mm-hmm. even scrolling through TikTok and seeing how, like, all everyone's theme is, like, oh, I'm home. Now I can finally learn how to use TikTok. There's so much content being pumped through there, yeah. even. And music yeah. being made to fit that space as well. Yeah. I think it's going to be really fascinating, honestly. I mean, it's going to be, you know, it, it is, I think, going to be a sort of paradigm shift in how a lot of people make and consume music. It's going to become more interactive, I think. I mean, already, mm-hmm. like, if there's been one major, uh, if there's been one major trend from the Sex Pistols on down, and especially now in the age of, you know, um, easy, easy, like, laptop production uh, uh, software, um, <clears throat> it's been to democratize access to making music. <clears throat> now more than ever. I mean, like look at like look at Lil Nas X. I mean, that's like a TikTok song made him like the number one charting artist of last year. You know, it's like, and that's that, that's not going to be like a one off thing. I think that's going to become the new thing. And now everyone has not no other option really. You know, it's yeah. like what are you going to do? Doja Cat has at least two songs that are big on TikTok right now. Two yeah. or three. Like she can easily make singles from whatever's trending like right now. Yeah, and that's oh, it. Those going to be the ones who break through the noise. I think is that that's going to be a, a, a big a big uh, factor. Oh shit, that is true because if they're not able to get out the music quickly enough to miss like whatever the next like in what an actual big artist is doing, they're going to get swallowed. Yeah, like you wouldn't want to drop your debut album on the same night Beyonce drops a surprise album. No, nope. nobody's going to hear your shit besides your family members. 
in your closest friends. So like just being able to put out and trying to time it properly is going to be a huge thing. Getting people behind you is going to be a huge thing. But I think it's going to be like a very nice renaissance because it's 2020. It's well, there's already a lot of allure around 2020, just the year itself, and it being like a big change, new decade, new everything. Like, as bad as COVID-19 has been, it's going to be like a renaissance on many different fronts. Because this hasn't just affected music. The health field is getting a wake-up call like never before. The automotive field is going to get a wake-up call because the workers that they depend on to put these cars together and manufacture or even build the robots which they use then to manufacture and lay off the people aren't being built because the people aren't there. The, the vinyl industry is taking a hit because not only did they have the fire, now they have to close down and can't start like yeah. replenishing and fixing everything because COVID-19, like you can't have people working during this. So yeah. they're going to take even longer to recover religion is going to have a whole new reshaping. I'm hoping it doesn't. I'm hoping it doesn't. I don't think it will on like a large scale, but on a macro level within different communities, they'll start changing some of their practices. Yeah. There's just a lot of different things. And this is probably a piece that I could work on during these like six, eight weeks. But a lot of it's like still rolling forward and we're watching it change as it's happening. But it's going to be cool to talk about in the rearview mirror in 2021. I know we're going to have the best of times New Year's night because this year has been a hell of a year and it's only three months in. Only three months. I know. Oh, my God. You're right. (laughs) We got three more quarters to go. Like, what my guess, thing is, um, is music gonna get shorter or longer? Because I know some what people. What shorter can it get? We have like the twenty second song already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think there's so many viral songs that are so short just to fit that virality and to get yeah, like, like mm-hmm. But like, then you have Arca who dropped like a song that was like super long, like probably sixty minutes, eighty minutes or something. So it's like, where does music go from here mm. if people have more time on it? Yeah, I think that's super interesting. I mean, I think there will be both, but um, it's like you don't have – you can do whatever you want now. I mean, I, again, it's like it's it's not only democratizing access to it, but just <laughs> entirely, you know, you know, mm-hmm. chasing away, uh, you know, I don't know, like breaking the, the mold or the formats that it used to exactly. have to fit into. I mean, when it was physical media, it, when it was vinyl only, then you had, you know, three – you know, you had three and a half minutes on a side for your, for your um, you know – for your 45 or whatever. Now, obviously, I mean, for a long time, that has not been the case. Um, but now, truly, it depends on the medium. If it's a TikTok thing, that's one thing. If you're Arca or if you're, like, you know, someone that's trying to to, to push back against that, you can do a five-hour release if you want. You know, you can do you can do kind of anything that um, that you, you, you want to. So what will people want to do and what will there be an audience for? It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, now, exactly. now, now going to be an audience. If you're, if you're, if you're Arca, like go, go for it. Cause like you have people that have a lot of spare time to sit and do an immersive 80 minute listen. I haven't seen that. Is that new? That Arca thing? Yeah, it's relatively new. Okay. That's insane. I can't imagine yeah. 80 minutes of music. Even if I, mean, it was I, like, I would have to, I, I wouldn't be able to sit through 80 minutes of it. I mean, I know like the weekend's album was like, kind of long. Like, yeah. 
like it's, if it's the length of a feature film, like an hour and a half worth of music, even then I think to myself, I'm like, okay, so this just dropped it. It's midnight. If I listen to this, I'm going to sleep at like 2.45 in the morning. Yeah. Like those are things I think about. I prefer shorter albums thanks to the trend. I don't think Kanye said it, but he was one of the big proponents of it over the, um, like very recently. So the fact that some albums are like shrinking and then, well, shrinking and then expanding and this just continues to happen. Maybe we will get the longer projects, like you said, with Arca, because we have nothing but time. And a We're lot of go us back like, stairway to be like to be productive and think we're productive but there's a lot of just like downtime we have throughout the day just short spurts of productivity so we'll see what we decide to do with our time i guess one more topic we can talk about before we let you off is uh i guess like what are you listening to right now josh or like what like what do you like what do you usually like what's in your what's in your daily rotation yeah good good question um so uh, actually, I just started. So speaking of, um, you know, kind of alternative uh, ethical streaming platforms, there's a new one started by, um, well, I got pulled into it by a guy that I met in Shanghai. Um, and he, uh, you know, they, they've been reaching out to labels from China and elsewhere. It's called Currents.fm. And it's like, mm. it's subscription based. I mean, their, their, their main user uh, model user is like is like an artist. So say you're you're a producer or or a musician of any kind, and um, you create an account. It's sort of they describe it as like Substack or Patreon in four playlists. That's so cool. that's interesting. It's interesting. <clears throat> so if uh, say you're an artist, you say, all right, you subscribe to my channel for two two fifty or whatever a month, and I make X number of playlists, and I write commentary, and I upload some of my own tracks. But it's more about like what showing fuck? what I'm listening to, and um what influences me i mean it can be whatever whatever you want you can like type in notes for each track so it's a way to follow an artist you like it's a, a really interesting idea idea right so i i started an account it's a it's it's, it's subscription based still but mine is free and i'm i'm curating playlists and i'm record i'm just doing real simple voice recording so essentially it plays like a radio show so like i i, I select a few tracks and the way that you make the playlist is you pull in the link from from anywhere, I've been trying to do Bandcamp wherever I can because then it gives the listener an option to go on and and, and buy it. Um, but you can also pull them from Apple Music or Spotify or YouTube or SoundCloud or Mixcloud or wherever. You just put the link in, and they their platform like formats it into a into a player player, which is kind of cool. So I, I I select a few tracks, I record myself talking about them, um, and upload that in the, and then put it in line with the tracks. So it basically plays like a, a like a radio show, but you can like skip around and, and go and buy the tracks if you want. So that all that to say, um, that's kind of like where I'm channeling. <laughs> like I, I'm actually like putting what I'm listening to into that. Um, it's it's becoming public facing. So to answer your question though, let me let me let me actually pull up the playlist. Um, so it tends to be stuff from China. I mean, that's like still the kind of network that I'm following the most closely. Um, <clears throat> I've been getting. I don't know. I've I, just a tangent. I've been getting super into Chinese metal for the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that looks so, so. That sounds cool. There's some cool. There's some cool metal. But I can send you some links. But uh, what do you do? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'll send. You, I'll just send you the 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 radio thing I'm doing. Um, but like, so there's some metal like. A lot of kind of weird left field electronic um, producers, uh, like electronic music producers, um, I've been listening to. And what else? <clears throat> um, there's this band. So I was I was like checking out a few bands that were supposed to be playing South by Southwest. And there's one band from Kyoto called Otoboke Beaver that right. I'm really into. They're really cool, like kind of a fierce, uh, like um, like all women punk band from Kyoto. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, <clears throat> those are, I guess those are the highlights. I mean, I'm always listening to stuff. I mean, that's kind of just, I mean, it's what I do, right? So mm-hmm. um, I've been trying lately to think, because I can't write about everything I hear. Um, yeah. And, you know, now... It hurts inside knowing that. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's, it's already hard. And, like, I... Now, and also, like, one, one other thing I'll say, this isn't really related to your question, but it might be useful advice, is, like, one thing that I've come to realize or, you know, has helped me with the, with the whole quarantine thing is, like, on the one hand, it's a great opportunity to produce content and to, you know, pick up your guitar, do all these kinds of things. On the other hand, you shouldn't feel obligated to, and you can also take the excuse to just take a breather and, and decompress a little bit, because I was kind of falling into this, like, it's almost like I internalized this kind of capitalist logic that like, oh, I have this free time, so I must figure out a way to monetize it, you know? And I was, I was struggling with that and trying to be like, I need to be writing, I need to be doing stuff. And then at a certain point, I said, no, I, need to, I just need to make sure that, you know, you know self-care first and, you know, make sure my, my wife is all right, I'm all right, our parents are all right. Um, oh. And it's a lot of, like, psychological adjustment that, that needs to happen, too. So I would say that, that first. But now I'm like, it's been two months for me and I'm ready to kind of get back in it. And um, I've realized that sharing what I'm listening to and in a more kind of a radio setting is, uh, makes me feel like I have more of a direct connection to people. So it's like a way to sort of turn what, you know, turn my ordinary behavior into content, but in a way that's not so like so much of a grind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a bit of a tangent, but you know, in terms of what I'm, what I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah appreciate I'll send you the link to my radio thing. You guys can check it out if you want. Do you see like similarities between, I don't know, like whether you've been keeping up with like acts in America that have been blowing up recently, but do you see like similarities between the two? I know like here it's like, there hasn't, there hasn't been exposure to like a lot of like Chinese music or Chinese artists. Like we have like 88 rising or like yeah. labels like that. Yeah. Besides that, yeah. it's still pretty sparse. So. Yeah, you know, 88 has been the one that's been uh, the most successful, I guess, in, in, in that. And, you know, kind of like what we were talking about before. Like, you know, I, I, I've, I've written about 88 Rising. I've interviewed their, their founder and some of the artists there. Like, um, I, just, I did an interview with Rich Brian last year, and I interviewed one of their artists who's, like, kind of more like of a K-pop guy, this guy called Jackson Wong. Oh, um, And they're all, like, I, I would say, you know... Well, anyway, what I'll say about 88 Rising is, like, they play that game extremely well. Like, they have personal relationships with Spotify reps and different regional offices, and they kind of game themselves onto their playlist that way. Um, same with Apple Music. <clears throat> they just have they, – they work that media angle really, really well. Um, that's all I'll say about them. But in terms of other artists uh, looking to break out um, – it's tough. Like I wouldn't have said three years ago that Higher Brothers was going to be the one Chinese artist that you know maybe some people can can recognize. Um, and I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't presume to predict the next one. But again, I think on a more kind of community level, like people who are already within a certain maybe music subculture, um, there there are there are certainly plenty of artists there. And I think that there are more and more like labels or otherwise platforms that are looking to bridge that gap, like. Um, that Japanese band I just men- mentioned, Otoboke or Obotoke, I forget, uh, Beaver, um, they are on a label out of London called Damnably. Mm-hmm. And Damnably signed my favorite, um, like, kind of uh, post punk sort of indie rock band um, from Chengdu, same place Higher Brothers comes from, this band called oh. Hyperson. They're on that label. They were supposed to go to South by Southwest. They seem to be getting a lot of international support. So they're never mm-hmm. going to get huge, you know, um, but. 
I think they're going to find a, an audience. They're going to find an international audience despite the language barrier and the geographical uh, difference because this label is in a, it's a boutique label, but they have, they have their audience, and I think they're pushing them. They also signed a great band from Hong Kong called David Boring. So I'm, I'm hopeful to oh, see yeah. what that label can do um, uh, for them overseas. Uh, again, it, the question is what opportunities because you have to play. You have to go out and play. Like Bands like... Uh, like, you know, someone like Rich Bryan or Higher Brothers, um, they wouldn't, you know, they need to be able to fill a room um, on tour and, and, and do multiple tours to really build a fan base and sustain it. Uh, or do, you know, 88 Rising has their festival in L.A. I mean, that's kind of important in, in their brand building or, or, or building awareness of uh, artists that, you know, really, you know, ultimately they're speaking a different language. It's hard. It's hard to promote them in, 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 the, in the U.S. So I don't know. I I. I, I that those are the long-standing problems, um, and I I personally have been on tour like with Chinese bands. Like I did Vans Warped tour. I don't know if you know that one. Um, I did that with a Chinese punk band a few years ago. I've gone to South by Southwest with Chinese bands three different times, and you know there's like there's like you know people are enthusiastic when they see you, but you need to be you need to continue touring. You need like an overseas platform to 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 promote that regularly, which is what 88 Rising is. So without more like kind of sub eighty eight risings coming up, I'm not really that optimistic that there's going to yeah. be a Chinese artist that really grabs on to um, a huge fan base. Yeah, you've been listening to the Press Play podcast again. I'm Dalvin. If you want to follow me, you could actually do so on Twitter, which is at Dalvin and Hobbs. I usually post any of my writing or other stuff on there. Just that's that's the best social media to like keep up with me. I don't know whether you want to plug anything, Josh or. Um, yeah, actually, so like I mentioned, I have this radio show I'm doing now, um, free, uh, but you can go and subscribe. Um, it's at, well, uh, the best way I think to find that would also be to go, well, go to my personal website, joshfiola.com. So my name is, uh, Josh, J-O-S-H-F-E-O-L-A.com. Um, you can find the, the link to my radio show there, and I'm working on a book, a comic book about, um, uh, underground Beijing music. With my good friend Chris Ragov, who um, couldn't make this interview, but um, uh, he and I are working on that together. That's our, our main project. You can also find info about that book on my website. And um, yeah, follow me on Twitter because uh, I, I, I need more Twitter followers. It's the uh, same uh, Twitter slash Josh Fiola. Oh, you got it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll put I'll put a link down below to all that stuff for all you guys to check out. And yo, what's good, fam? Follow me on Twitter at LJ Maroney two. Follow me on Instagram at LJMurray2. Subscribe to my Substack, Blophouse2000.substack.com. And, uh, yeah, keep real, fam. Love you guys. Yeah! <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Sarah Beckford, and it's been real. I have a music blog on Tumblr called Sounds Like Infinity, and I should be dropping a review soon about Chica's debut EP. So, yeah. Hey guys, it's Julio Taku on Twitter, Julio underscore Taku, two U's. Julio spelled J-U-L-I-O, not the Italian way. Julio underscore Taku on Instagram as well. Finsta is your MCM's underscore role model. <laughs> and yeah, it's been tight, you guys. Wash your hands, don't touch your face. Words, stay healthy. Includes... Like, don't cough. Don't. You will leave my house. Distancing includes family members as well as friends. Please be careful. If you don't get sick, you could be a carrier. Be conscious. And yeah, that's it. Godspeed.
Or then check out the Stony Press, Press, which is spress.com. Uh, just search Stony Press on all socials. And yeah, thanks for coming on the show, Josh. Word. Yeah, Josh, it was great. Yeah, Appreciate thank you, you all. Keep it's been great. You. It's been great meeting you all. Yeah. All right, thank you. Thank you all. Um, stay safe. Stay healthy. Peace, guys. Stay healthy. Same to you. All right, bye. Peace. Bye.